It is good to be back. Uh, Grace Bible, I want to thank you for your patience and allowing my family and I to go on vacation. And want to thank Stephen for preaching last week and Mark putting out all the fires for me the last couple of weeks. And uh, what a great privilege it is to be back today. I'm very, 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 very thankful for this church and you people. Um, being away uh, is wonderful. I love to catch fish, if you haven't noticed. Uh, and yes, I caught the largest fish I've ever caught, and it was fun. Uh, I was very excited and very thankful that uh, Stephen was there at that time to take the picture. So he can, there's no fish tails. He saw it. It's real. I pulled it in. Uh, we had a, <laughs> but I did throw it back, and it was because I am wanting to keep the law of the land. And it would have been good eaten. However, the government says you are not allowed to keep those from June to August. And the one I caught was bigger than the largest you can keep even in season, so I would have thrown it back anyway. Isn't that sad? One of the, I did catch one of those, uh, one just like it, and I let it go into the water, and as I did, a dolphin came by and went, <laughs> and I thought, oh, one bite. That would have fed my whole family. But very, very thankful. We had such a good time. Uh, and very, very thankful. But, you know, I was, uh, I was working in all week just kind of thinking through this passage in Second John. And uh, as it came to Saturday, somebody asked me, are you ready to be back and ready to get back in the pulpit, ready to do this? And I said, yeah, I can't wait. I'm glad to be back. I love vacation, but I love doing this even more. I love to preach. I love to t share the scriptures with you. This is my joy uh, because Christ loves me, and he died for me, and he purchased me, and I get to share God's truth with you today. So there is nothing I'd rather be doing, and that includes catching giant snook, uh, than preaching the scriptures to you this morning. What a great passage we look at today in Second John. In our relativistic society, truth is hard to define. In the postmodern world, defining truth is virtually impossible. Social media, our various cultures, even our families often tell us truth is relative to each person's opinion or background. But scripture is clear. There is an absolute truth. The Bible reveals what is truth. And it tells us where to find truth. Today we're going to give a, begin a brief two-week study of, the, of 2 John. In this little book, we are going to see what is truth. And what is the role of truth in the believer's life. In the shortest book of the Bible, we get an overview of truth and its effects on the believer's life. There are 329 words, and I'm going to do my best to cover all 329 of them. By the end of our study, it is my prayer you will know where to find truth. And you will understand what walking in the truth looks like, and you will then be renewed in your desire to walk in truth. Briefly, let's cover the background for this letter. You're going to need to take notes today. I don't have a clicker, so you're just going to, you're on your own. Don't look at the screen. There's you got the full thing right there. <laughs> the role of truth in the believer's life. I had it on a little thumb drive and it doesn't work, so that's all you get. Let's look over the background. First, the author. The elder 
is what it says. This title for the author appears in both the second and third John. This title, Elder, points to a position of authority, similar to how Paul used his apostle's badge when he would say an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the elder. This is John's way, the apostle John's way, the brother of James, one of the sons of Zebedee. It's his way of using his authority badge, the elder, using this title. It's also a subtle way to refer to himself. The uh, the apostles were called later in the early church days within the first hundred years were called the elders. John humbly calls himself here the elder. He could have even given a four-verse explanation of who he was, like in 1 John and what he had seen, talking about seeing Jesus. But here in 2 John, he just describes himself as the elder. Church tradition is overwhelming that the apostle John wrote these three books, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John most likely after, they had, after he had written the Gospel of John and most likely before he wrote Revelation, probably in the 90s, 90 AD, about 60 years after Jesus had died and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. It's also known, all three of these books are known of, of John. So obviously church traditional tradition points to John as the author. The recipient, notice, the elect lady and her children. There are two possible interpretations for who this lady is, this elect lady. One is a figurative language of uh, the Christian church and, uh, and its members. In other words, the lady would be a church. Or the second would be an unnamed lady and her literal children. Which one do you think I go with? Number two, yeah, if you said number one, here, let me give you why. I go with number two because we should seek to stick with the literal, literal interpretation unless the literal is impossible. That's a, a hermeneutical process. We need to stick with what it says unless it's impossible. So let's just go with, it was a lady, uh, one lady and her family, her children. Many commentators have interpreted it this way. And it's a very personal letter, along with 3 John, you'll see that same personal nature. The lady is described well by John here. We see in verse 1, she's the chosen lady. This is literally the elect lady. Once again this week, I was talking to a friend of mine, and, and I heard that his pastor told his sheep that he didn't believe in predestination and election. You know, I have to admit, every, every time I hear that, uh, I don't believe in election and I don't believe in predestination. Whenever I hear that, I think to myself, what do they do with the word? It's in the Bible, predestined before the foundation of the world in, first, in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Or this one, chosen according, or chosen lady, or the elect lady. Again, we don't believe in something just because it doesn't, it into our worldview. We believe in what the scriptures say. If it's there, then it's there. We have to believe it whether or not we agree with it or understand it completely. This lady was elect. She was chosen. So the question is, is how in the world did John know that she was a chosen lady? How did he know that she was an elect lady? Well, there's not a little mark on your forehead that says, oh, that's an elect right there. I see one. I see another. That's not how he knows. He knows by her faith, her lived out faith. When she believes and trusts in Christ and lives out her faith, then she, is mo she shows the evidence of being elect. Okay? That means God chose her. It's clearly alluding to God's predetermined plan for this lady to salvation. Very encouraging description for the lady, wouldn't it be? To say, oh, you're calling me elect. That means you see that Christ is real in my life. And I love him. And so he encourages her with this. It means that the lady's faith was lived out. Also notice it says, chosen lady. Now this letter was written directly to a lady. Sometimes we get the idea that in the Bible times, ladies or women were not respected or viewed highly. However, I believe the Bible is very clear. It 
directly addresses a lady here. It's interesting. We're talking about a lady today on Father's Day. It's appropriate. We didn't talk about mothers on Mother's Day that much in the message. So let's talk about a lady on Father's Day. Why? Because the Bible did it. And because it really isn't about us anyway, is it? It's about God and his word and wanting to know him. The Bible directly addresses a lady here. John is talking to a woman. Women were an integral part of the establishment of the church. They are very vital. I was so encouraged Saturday as, where is Miss Emily at? There she is. She's hiding. Taught ladies Bible study and my wife didn't teach. Isn't that great? I would almost give a big hand. Way to go, chosen lady. It's by the grace of God that he worked. And that's the way it works in this church. That's what we're about. We want ladies to minister and to work with us. It's the same thing here. John's writing to a lady that was chosen, that was living out her faith. And she seems to be a hospitable woman, a woman that would allow people to come and stay in her house, as we'll see in a little bit. Her children is, are also addressed. It appears this lady was a mother of genuine Christian children that they appear to have believed also. It implies, and you see that in verse 4, it implies her commitment to raising the children in the fear of the Lord. This is encouraging, isn't it? All you parents out there that are trying to raise children that love Christ, hey, it works. God does it. He accomplishes those things. He uses us to raise children that love God. Let's do it, right? By his grace, we can. And then she had a chosen sister, an elect sister, as we see down in verse 13. And also she had some children that had believed. Do not receive him also, notice, do not receive him into your house. This lady appears to, in verse 10, have been a very kind and hospitable woman. She could have been so well known for being hospitable that the false teachers were what? Taking advantage of her. During that time, it appears that it was the right thing to do to open your house up to traveling missionaries and pastors. If somebody came around, they'd come and they'd knock on your door and you'd say, come on in if you're a Christian. Oh, you're about Jesus? Come on in. You can stay with us. Well, as time went along, what happens? False teachers arise and they say, oh, we want to hang out with you too. Let's take advantage of this lady. And it appears that this lady was showing Love, but it wasn't love based on truth. Now, that's a very important concept for us to get. We're going to see this repeated throughout. Showing love that's not based on truth is not a good way to go. Love based on truth is what we're all about. Again, it was the Christian thing to do to host other Christian missionaries and traveling pastors, but at the same time, she needed to be careful John speaks as though he had already knew the lady and he probably met her in person, yet he looked forward to seeing her again in verse 12. John had at the very least met her children as verse 4 implies and some of her nieces and nephews as verse 13 implies. And he speaks of her with a great affection. He says, whom I myself love in the truth. John loves this lady. This lady was loved by the apostle. John speaks of his love for the lady and her children in verse 1, and he stresses his love with uh, uh, an emphasis in the Greek grammar where he says, I myself love you. It's me. I love you. The word here used for love is more than a friendship love or just a kind feelings or affections towards somebody. It's the agape love that the Bible talks about that unconditional, sacrificial love that we'll talk about in a little bit. So to summarize, this lady was obviously a genuine believer who was kind and hospitable, and John loved her and her children very deeply. He was committed to them. And John writes to give some specific applications of love in truth. So the outline of the letter is very easy. You ready? There's three main points or three main sections. There's the introduction. That's found in 1 to 3. 
And then the body of the letter is from 4 to 11. And then the conclusion is in 12 and 13. Those 13 verses broken down pretty simple. The introduction includes three common elements, the author, the recipients, and then there's this greeting we'll talk about in a little bit, a blessing that usually started the epistles in the first, verse, first three verses. And then the body starts in verse 4 and works down through verse 11, and it has two sections. Lord willing, we'll cover two of those, to, or one of those today, or two of those today, um, or one of the two today, sorry. An encouragement to love one another, and then there's a warning to watch out for deceivers that starts in verse 7. And then finally it concludes with that, with the conclusion and a promise of a visit and a greeting from some of the others. So what's the main theme of this book? The main themes are these two. Ready? Love, truth. Those are the two themes. Very simple. Love and truth. Two things I love to talk about. So we're going to dig into this book. We will examine this relationship between love and truth in the letter. The world often misses biblical love because it does not understand that love is rooted or grounded in truth. The relationship between love and truth goes to the heart of Christianity. Again, biblical love is rooted, grounded, founded upon biblical truth. That's so crucial. If you get nothing else, get that one statement. Biblical love is rooted or grounded in biblical truth. Without biblical truth, there is no true biblical love. Do you understand? A third theme is a warning against a group of deceivers. However, that's linked to truth also. And this whole how you love in truth. The genuine believer is associated with love and holding to the truth. While the deceivers were associated with what? Rejecting the truth and being evil. So how do we love the evil people? The evil false deceivers. So it's a short letter. And as we go through it, I think you're going to be encouraged. We will probably cover the first half this week and see what we do next week. 2 John 1, 3. Let's, let's read the first half again. 2 John 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I myself love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing you, to you a new commandment, but the one which you had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Let's stop there. Today we're going to begin to examine the relationship between love and truth and how it fits in biblical Christianity. This is biblical Christianity, by the way. Do you want to know the distinction between the world's love and Christianity? It is how it re reacts and how it's related to truth. So very important. So let's define a couple of terms. First, love. I want you to write this definition down. This is a definition I've mentioned before, and I want everybody to have it and understand it. This biblical love is basically, here's the definition. Biblical love is commitment evidenced by unconditional sacrifice. Commitment evidenced by unconditional sacrifice. It fits perfectly with our favorite verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that's a commitment, that he gave his only begotten son. It's evidenced by unconditional sacrifice. Does everybody understand that? 
This is biblical love. It is active. It is selfless. It is sacrificial. It is not just a feeling or emotion. It involves taking action, making choices, following through on our commitments. It is not self-seeking. Beloved, this is biblical love. Again, it is commitment evidenced by sacrifice, laying down our lives. This is biblical love. Commitment to others, not commitment to self. Commitment to say no to self and yes to others. Commitment means make, taking minute-by-minute minute choices and making these choices minute-by-minute minute to put others above ourselves. Now, I think this lady was doing it. What do you think? I think she was doing it. The problem is, is that it wasn't controlled always by truth. And we'll talk about this as we go along. The lady appears to be committed to others sacrificially. And we see this in the world, don't we? The world is often doing some sacrificial things, but why they do it is so crucial. The motive and the foundation and why they do the kind acts, the loving acts, is the make or break moment. It determines whether or not it's genuine love or not. And it's what determines what's going on in our hearts too. I, I, I'll never forget, and I've grown in this, but as, as, we, as I got married to my wife, I, I was committed to my wife. I admit that. I was completely committed to my wife when I married her. But I was very, very immature in my understanding of love. And often my commitment to her was based on what? What it brought for me. I'm committed to you because you do kind things to me. And if I do kind things to you, guess what? You're going to do kind things to me. You're going to be kind. You're going to be kind. You're going to wash the dishes. You're going to make me meals. Wow, I can be committed to that. That's easy. However, beloved, that's not necessarily biblical love because that does not involve much sacrifice, does it? And it is not very unconditional. It's very conditional. Often I would love just for the sake of getting something. Come up and give her a pat on the back and say, how are you doing? You're doing a great job today. In the back of my mind, I had other intentions. What's wrong with that? That's not unconditional sacrificial love. Trying to manipulate somebody. That's not biblical love. Beloved, biblical love is based on truth. Which brings us to our second definition. Truth. Biblical truth. The truth John is referring to here in this epistle can be summarized by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the truth. Truth is, and here you go, write this down. Here's your definition for truth. And especially in 2 John here. Truth is who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is doing, and what he desires for his followers to do. That's a long definition, but here we go. I'm going to say it again. I want you to think through this. This is truth. This is truth. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus desires for his followers to do. This is truth. Remember, Jesus called himself the truth, didn't he? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John describes Jesus as being full of truth in John chapter 1, verses 14, verse 14. And we also know that truth came about through Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 17. So to summarize, biblical truth is, a, is the revelation of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he requires of his followers to do. That is truth. I want you to think on that. I want you to write that down, please. I want you to understand. I want you to meditate on that concept this week. What is truth? It's who Jesus is what he has done, what he is doing, and what he requires you to do. 
That is true. This theme of truth is arguably the main idea of the whole letter. And it's what we need to understand. By the way, that definition for truth is not found anywhere in the world. The world does not like that definition at all. It's completely opposed to that definition. Notice in 2.4, John, John, uh, 2 John 4, walking in truth. And it's parallel to received commandment to do. In the second half of the verse. And in verse 5, bringing on, pulling on this concept of commandment, he develops not a new commandment, commandment, what we are to do, what he requires of us. This is the truth, what he requires of us. A, not a new commandment. Verse 6, his commandments. This is what he wants us to do. This is the truth. The commandment. It's mentioned several times, huh? Again, truth is not only who Jesus is, it is, and what he did, but it's also what he requires of us, what we're supposed to do. Notice in, in 2 John 7, it says, Acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Again, that's the truth. Who is Jesus? He came in the flesh. Jesus is the truth. He came in the flesh. He is both God and he is man. He became a man, right? He is 100% God and 100% man as opposed to the Jehovah Witnesses that would say what? He's not God. Okay? And again, we see the truth in 2 John 9. It says, in the teaching of Christ. In the teaching. is repeated twice there. And in verse 10, this teaching. Who is the truth? He introduces it in the first part of the letter, and then he develops it through the commandments, and through the explanation of who Jesus is, and through the teaching of Jesus. Truth is Jesus Christ revealed and what he wants us to do. That's the truth. You know, you can see why the world would have a hard time with that, right? And the world would say, there is no absolute truth. Well, who are they ultimately denying? They're denying Christ. They're denying Jesus. They're denying the God that made them. Of course they're going to reject truth. God is the truth revealed. And as we know him and we understand him and we understand what he wants for us, we know what? The truth. That's why we can all sit down and watch a TV show. We can watch a news report and we say, oh, they need the truth. We can see it. It's clear, isn't it? Our worldview is totally opposite from the world. Because everything that we're grounded in is the truth. Jesus Christ. So with these two main themes, let's walk down through the letter. Look at the introduction in verses 1 to 3. You can title the introduction this. Truth is the foundation of of their relationship. Truth is the foundation of their relationship. And boy, you could, you see all the applications here for this? This is amazing. Uh, you want a good marriage relationship? It must be founded on what? Truth. It's got to be based on truth. Who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he requires. That's it. You title their relationship, the introduction to their relationship. Truth is the foundation of their relationship. Look at 2 John 1. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Where is John's love for the lady found? In truth. It's in truth. There's a special connection between all believers, all of us have a special connection. The special connection is truth. It's Christ. It's a revelation of Him. It's a revelation of His teaching. It's a revelation of His commandments. 
That's what connects us. We live and move in the realm of God's truth. Every single one of us who are genuine believers, that's what we live in. We live in the truth. We are connected in this revelation of God in Christ. We live in Jesus. We live in what He's done. We live in what He's doing and we are all about what He requires. We are committed to others who are in the realm of truth. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We are sacrificially committed to each other because of Christ. It is truth of who Jesus is. That truth is what controls us. It makes us lay down our lives for one another, doesn't it? It makes us sacrifice for each other. It makes us committed to each other no matter what the other person does to us. You can say unkind statements to me, but the truth, what, controls me. It makes me love you anyway. Our special connection is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. We are sacrificially committed to all of those who are in this special connection. Our own love for the truth binds us together. I can't hate you. I can't. I can't reject you. I'm going to give you a little secret here. You ready? Here's the secret. I probably shouldn't say it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Monday's my day off. Mondays are my day off. Do you understand that you, if you text me or call me on Monday, you know what I'm probably going to do? I'm going to answer it. I'm going to text, and I'm going to respond. All too often I do it. I don't do it every single time, but most of the time I do it. On my vacation, I still got text. I still got <laughs> phone calls. <laughs> I still had to do things. Why did I do it? Because of the truth. Because of the truth. It controls me. I love you unconditionally by the grace of God because of the truth. It controls us, doesn't it? I can't deny you. As long as you are living and moving, moving and breathing and in my realm of talking to, I love every one of you and I'm committed to you by grace. Now, can I be selfish occasionally? Absolutely. I'm still a man. But when the truth is controlling me, it doesn't matter. We are connected, aren't we? We're together. Believers live and function within this realm of truth. And so we love everyone else who lives in that same realm. Friends, this means we are sacrificially committed to each other in a way the world cannot get. It can't understand this. If the world looked at this, saw what I saw, they would say, Why? Why are these people together? I'm, we don't have it today, but there's no cowboy hats. But, but often there are. And big cowboy buckles right here. And an African-American rapper. How do you put that in the same room? Truth. The gospel. That's how you get it together. Because we're not about us, ultimately. We're about truth, Christ. And when we know Christ, he controls us. And he makes us love people that we think are what? Strange. Strange. But I love you anyway. One of my, one of my friends used to say, we're all strange, aren't we? Yes, we are. We are some strange people. Weird. But we love each other. Why? Because of the truth. We're in the realm of truth. The world oper operates outside of truth. So it can't be this. It can't fit. 
It can't get along. It fights all the time, doesn't it? Because there's no truth. And the more you zap and take out truth and you say truth is relative, the more what? You're going to fight. And you're going to hate each other. But if you know the truth, the truth will help you to love people that are unlovable. crosses foolishness to them but it humbles us doesn't it I can never look at any of you as an enemy why because God looked at me who was his enemy and loved me anyway that truth humbles me it makes me love you that's the kind of relationship we need. Relationship based on the truth. Why are believers able to love this way? Because we know the truth. The passage says it. They love her because they know the truth. It's all because we have an intimate understanding of the truth. As we've said numerous times, what we know controls how we live. What we are intimately acquainted with is what determines how we will live. As we have said this, in this case, what we know controls who we are sacrificially committed to. This is why we are people of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, not because we become a different tribe, tongue, nation, and people. It's not because I become a cowboy, because I'm not. And it's not because I become a rapper, because all rappers in the room say, Amen. That is not your gift. I'm not that. But I got truth. And I love you. And I think you love me. Because you know the truth. We are sacrificially committed to one another. And this is what our knowledge of the truth does. We know and we enjoy and we abide in the truth. And this truth controls us. We are properly related to Jesus. And this intimate relationship with him drives us to be different. And to love people. So ultimately, why do we sacrifice for one another? Why do we lay down our lives? Look at verse 2. Why do we do it? For the sake of the truth. <laughs> Why do we do what we do? For the sake of the truth, which the truth abides in us and will be with us forever. Oh, beloved, why do we, why do we love each other? Why do we do it? Because for the sake of the truth. We do it so Christ will be exalted. So that Christ will be honored. So that he will be known. That's why we love here. We do it for Jesus, the truth. We do it for the advancement of the truth, don't we? That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. We do it so the advancement of Christ the gospel, the truth, will go out. We do it because of who he is and what he's done for us and what he's doing, that he's sovereign over this. And he wants us to do this, so we do it. When you get a command from Jesus, if right now he, he, he gave you, and he doesn't do that, but if he gave you a special revelation, do this, how many of you would jump up and do it? If I do it! He's my Lord. He bought me. That's what we do. Thankfully, he's given us all we need for revelation. He's given us the commandments. He's told us how to live. So all we got to do is do this. And is it a burden? Believer out there, y'all who know Jesus, is it a burden to obey God? It isn't, is it? It's a joy, isn't it? But that means I actually have to get up in the morning and read my Bible? 
Yeah, I get to do that. It's not a burden. It's a privilege. It's a joy. I think we've mixed it up. I feel for our kids out there. Listen to me, children. This is for you, all of you. Listen. Your mommy and daddy don't look at church or going to church or reading the Bible as some burden. We love this. Sometimes our face doesn't always express it, and sometimes our selfishness doesn't always show it, but we love this. I'd rather be here than on vacation, kids. Do you hear me? Listen to me. I'd rather be here than catching a 35-inch snook. I don't care. I want to be here with you, sharing the truth. This is better, and I'm sweating, and I love it, (laughs) and I don't care. Sitting on the boat, fishing, sweating, I'm caring. Where's the shade? Here, I can sweat and talk to you about the truth and enjoy it. I wish I could just, let's just move the clock. We're going to uh, 1.30, okay? <laughs> but no. It's just the truth. Oh, we're doing it for the advancement of the truth, right? For Christ to be exalted. This is what our lives are, and we take great joy in it. And by the way, we're going to be doing this, what? Forever. We're going to abide in the truth now, and we're going to abide in the truth forever. And guess what? I'm going to enjoy it. All the way. It's not going to be a burden. I'm going to enjoy heaven. How about you? The truth abides in us. We dwell in the truth. And it controls us. And we enjoy it. And we receive it continuously. And we submit to it. And we enjoy submitting to it. And we love it. And again, we dwell in the realm of God's truth. The world, on the other hand, abides in the realm of Satan and sin. Therefore, being sacrificially committed to anyone other than themselves is what? Impossible. People of the world do acts of kindness. But ultimately, it's not because they know and enjoy Jesus. Often, it's they do it for the sacrifice of their gods, their false gods, or their self-advancement, which are tied together, by the way. Why does, a, why, do, why does a Roman Catholic nun give up their, her life and serve orphans around the world for her whole life? Why would they do that? Because their God will accept them if they do that. They do that to get acceptance from God. But beloved, that is not why we do what we do. We do it because he's already accepted us, because he loves us, because he died for us, because we're set free from sin, because he's a loving heavenly father, and we lay down our lives because we're sin-free because of Christ. Our sin is paid for. We're right with him, and that is enough, isn't it? We serve him sacrificially with love, with joy. Why? Because I'm sin. My sins are paid for. I'm bought. I'm loved. You're loved, beloved. You're loved. It'll make you do anything for him, won't it? Believers abide in that. We dwell in that truth. We hang out in that truth. We enjoy that truth. So love will come from us forever and ever and ever. Believers love because truth abides in them. At this point, there's probably some of you in the room that are feeling some conviction. Maybe you're thinking... Well, I don't love like that all the time. I'm sacrificially committed to myself all too often. 
I am all too often committed to only lovable people in my life. Anybody in here? Convicted? What's happened? It's one of two things. One, you're lost and you need Jesus Christ. You need to repent, turn from your sin, and embrace a loving Savior that died to pay for your sin. Or second, you've repented, but you've forgotten just how much he loves you. You've forgotten the truth. And though you could be abiding in it, you've, you've been spending too much time listening to the world's lies about the truth. The response is the same. For the unbeliever, repent. Turn from that sin. For the believer who has forgotten, repent. Turn. You know the truth. Run back to Christ. Grab a hold of the truth. Enjoy the truth. And don't stop grabbing and seeking it until you find Him again. then you will begin to love again like he loved you. Abide in the truth. And you will love as he has loved you. As the truth of God controls us, love becomes a privilege, not a duty. So John concludes his introduction with a blessing, a.k.a. A, a, a prayer of greeting. He says grace and truth or grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father in truth and love. Again, as we see the blessings of unmerited favor, God's mercy on sinners like us and an inward peace and satisfaction with God is from God and His Son and it's in the realm of truth and love. So let's move on briefly into this body. And just start it off and then we'll pick up next week with this. The body of the letter breaks down here into the affirmation of, of the commitment to truth. Or an exhortation to commit to the truth. And a warning to avoid the distorters of the truth. In verses 7 to 11. So let's start with this affirmation. Verse 4 it says... I was very glad to find some of you children, your children walking in truth just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. So let's make just one quick point here. John's obviously what? Loving this lady. He's loving her by what? Affirming to her her commitment to the truth. He's saying, you got it. You're doing it. Way to go. You're walking in the truth. Now just take a side note. Apply this real quick. We are often really quick to do the 7 to 11, but very slow to do 4 to 6. We need to encourage one another. Encourage one another when we're walking in the truth. When we see people doing what they're supposed to be doing, what are we supposed to do? Encourage them. Oh, it's so good to see you walking in the truth. I see your love for Christ. Way to go. How many of you do that? How many times have you done it? How about your wife? your spouse, your father. <laughs> Encourage one another. But we're often picking out those flaws, aren't we? Oh, I see your flesh there. Oh, I saw it again. There it is again. You're one fleshly person. Encourage one another. That's what John does. What brings you joy, by the way? What makes you glad? Catching a 34-inch snook. No. My most joyful moment of the whole trip. I'll be honest. I think, yeah, it's got to be there. My most joyful moment was seeing a picture sent to me from Noel Huff of Emily teaching ladies Bible study. I was better than catching any 34-inch snook. 
Why? Because she's walking in the truth. And she's sharing the truth with others. Not bragging on Emily. Way to go, God, right? God's grace is good. And beloved, that's what it's all about. I just want to see you walking in the truth, and that brings great joy. I got devotionals. People were sending me observations on Hebrews. and Wow, that's good. Yeah, God. That's joy. Same joy that drove John. What brings you joy? Is it applied truth? I want to take a challenge you this week. We'll pick up on this next week. But he brings up this point of loving one another continues in the truth. And the way he does it is talks about walking in God's commandments. So what I want you to do this week, here's your assignment. You have an assignment this week. Everybody's going to write this down. Everybody's going to do it, right? I'm not doing this as a legalism thing. I'm really counting on you reading this this week, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to read Matthew chapters 5 through 7. We're going to read the Sermon on the Mount. What does love look like? Let's read Matthew 5, 7 to 11. 5 to a 7, not 7 to 11. I'll say it again. Matthew 5, chapter 5, through chapter 7. That's three chapters, right? Five, six, seven, seven. Three chapters for you to read in the Bible. How many of you can read three chapters in the Bible? Okay. This week? Great! What commitment! Abide in the truth. And let's apply this truth to our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this grace that you have poured out on us to help us to know the truth, to know your son, to know his dealings with us, to know that he loves us and that he is loving us and that he is interceding for us. Father, help us. Oh, God, please help us to abide in the truth this week. Please, Father, help us to be there, to stay there, to enjoy you and to serve you this week. We love you, Father. We pray that you will use us this week to love one another. 